I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back, everybody. Another edition here of the Auburn Undercover Podcast. On the 24-7 Sports Network, my name is Nathan King coming at you guys today, recording here on a, goodness, what day is it? I guess tonight is, it's a a Wednesday night. Wanted to catch back up with everybody, get a ride solo here today because I just have some thoughts on, uh, I'm going to kind of just go stream of consciousness. Um, didn't want to blow anybody away with it um, and, uh, and kind of create some chaos with anybody else. So I just wanted to get on here and kind of chat about some thoughts I had um, on Auburn's, obviously, into the basketball season and now as we transition completely um, to football season because uh, I know Auburn fans obviously were hoping that Auburn basketball would still be playing come Friday in the NCAA tournament Sweet 16 in Chicago. Obviously, that's a disappointment to go one and two in the postseason and, and you know not be able to turn the second highest seeded team ever in program history. Obviously, they've only been a one seed once, they're two seed this year to not be able to translate that into a deeper run in the NCAA tournament. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about um, kind of my impressions from from Greenville last week, um, what this Auburn team did and, and, and failed to do in the postseason um, that allowed them to not get very far, um, and then kind of a look back on what they did during the season um, and kind of how this team should be remembered and what they've got going into next season and what you should be on the lookout for next season. And then we haven't caught up here on the podcast very much with spring football because been focused on the basketball team being in the postseason. And so we'll talk a little bit about spring ball. Been to a couple practices this week. Obviously, there's some transfer news um, for Auburn, most notably Demetrius Davis, the former four-star quarterback who was recruited under Gus Malzahn, has transferred out. If you've not seen that, so Auburn's quarterback battle has dipped down to four players instead of five here in the spring. But first of all, wanted to talk about the basketball team. So they, they lose, obviously, in the round of 32 to Miami. Um, 79 to 61, easily their worst performance of the season. But how did they get there? So first of all, um, first of all, I want to talk about Greenville for anyone who was <laughs> for anyone who was there. Um, excellent regional su- or excuse me, sub region um, location. And, you know, that's something Auburn earned. And when you're a high seed like that, you earn um, close proximity because Auburn's fan base. I, I know people in the fan base who since the middle of January were planning on going there, had made uh, had made plans to stay in Greenville. And so when things got a little dicey there at the end and Duke got a two seed, people were wondering if Tennessee would get the other two seed in Greenville. People started to panic a little bit, but Auburn was obviously able um, to lock it up there and just a great place, um, a great place to host. Um, if, if hopefully, you know, if, if y'all were able to go, hopefully you went to both games and you're able to um, stay for a little bit longer because we had an excellent time. Um, and the fan support for Auburn at the games, um, easily the best there. I mean, I, I think just because of their opponents, too, like in the Duke-Michigan State game, um, I mean, there were more Auburn fans than Duke fans um, at their respective games. Now, again, it, Michigan State is a bigger opponent 
in terms of a basketball fan base than obviously Jacksonville State or Miami. And so they brought more fans of their own. But Auburn just had pretty much a home crowd um, in both of their games. And I will say, I was talking to some people who agreed with me on this. Um, and if you were there at both games, JSU definitely had more fans than Miami. I mean, not even close, probably three times the amount of fans. I was sitting um, across from Miami's bench in the second. I was sitting behind Auburn's bench in the first game, across from Miami's bench in the second game. So the fans were right behind us. The Miami fans were. I mean, it, it wasn't that many. Um, but they obviously got you know a, a special celebration. And Auburn fans remember from a few years ago when, when their team wasn't expected to go very deep and, and making it to the second weekend and beyond. And so obviously it was a special time for them and they were very excited. But um, yeah, so looking at the actual games here, um, just kind of going over what happened here in the postseason. Um, I tried not to put too much thought and, uh, and not, not, you know, not, not too much credit. That's not the right word. Cause obviously Auburn came out against Jacksonville state. They did what they were supposed to do, but I didn't put too much weight on some of the trends from Auburn in that game because I wanted to see what they did against a team with a lot better talent because for you know JSU's credit, obviously they're in the NCAA tournament, but they are the only team in the entire tournament field this year um, that technically was not supposed to be in there. I mean, they got in off technicality uh, because Bellarmine won the, uh, won the A-Sun conference tournament. JSU, which won the regular season, actually was given the automatic bid because Bellarmine, it's their first season competing um, in D1 college basketball in the NCAA. That, that might get changed pretty soon just because this is the second time uh, the name escapes me of the other team from a couple years ago. But this is the second time over the past few years where a team has earned its way to the NCAA tournament, but they've been denied because of that rule where if it's your first year transferring over um, from D2, you're not allowed to go to the tournament, which is kind of silly. Um, I mean, level of competition, I'm not exactly sure. Um, what their logic is there, I didn't look into it that much. But anyway, so JSU gets in, obviously, off that technicality. Came to play at the beginning, made five out of their first seven three-pointers of the game. But it became pretty apparent um, pretty early on that Auburn was going to dominate this game and really kind of have their way with it. Look, the only thing, I mean, Auburn, I think, could have won this game by 30 if you didn't have the Jalen Williams-Walker-Kessler injury there kind of early in the second half about five minutes into the second half that slowed Auburn's momentum um JSU went on a nine nothing run immediately after that I kind of think Auburn was really dominant they're rebounding well they were defending well obviously um JSU their only hope in this game was going to be to make tough shots and they did that at the beginning of the game because they really didn't have any sort of offensive action or players personnel um that was going to be able to take on Auburn one-on-one -on -one in a half court set and so they just had to make tough shots. They did that at the beginning of the game. Um, they held as large as a, I want to say, a six-point lead. Yeah, that was their largest lead. They're up 17 to 11. I remember that came off of a 6-0 run in the first half that was literally just two made three-pointers. Um, and so, you know, the, the number 11 three-point shooting team in the country entering the game in terms of percentage. So they were capable of doing that. But Auburn, you know, they didn't really adjust. They didn't have to adjust on defense. They were playing fine defense. They just start, they started getting the defensive stops they thought they deserved because they were um, – you know, holding things in check pretty well on the defensive side of the ball. And then once that happened, the offense started clicking a little better. Obviously, you had a 20-point performance from Jabari Smith. He had that huge dunk at the end of the game that will obviously be on uh, on one shining moment. And overall, it was a great game. It was a great game for Auburn. It's exactly what you want to see. The program moves to 10-0 and all time um, in opening round NCAA tournament games. They've still yet to lose um, a first-round game. And so that's something to continue to monitor, obviously, over the course of Bruce Pearl's tenure. You know, this is going to be a program that continues to make the NCAA tournament. You know, they should be a tournament team. They should be in the upper tier of the SEC, 
next season, depending on what they do in recruiting and in the transfer portal. We'll, we'll get to that a little later. Um, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see moving forward if they can continue that streak in the first round of games. Um, and then moving forward after that, you know, it, it was an interesting matchup with Miami. We found out later that night um, that it was going to be Miami instead of USC. Um, they, they outlasted USC in that game. Uh, I think a lot of Auburn fans were thinking they wanted to see Miami because on paper they were a very poor defensive team. Really funny to see how things turn out, right? Um, you look at a team like Miami and you looked at USC, they had a great front court. Um, and some people were saying, well, you know, they, they might be able to hold Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler in check. Um, but Miami doesn't have very much size, so if the backcourt can play well, there's really nobody that should be able to that can stop Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. That's pretty funny looking back at it um, because obviously now as we'll move on to the second round game. And by the way, the in-between there, their, their off day um, was great as well. Great stuff from from players throughout the weekend. Um, you know, Jim Laranega from Miami. I, I think, you know, some basketball. If you're a basketball junkie and you're an Auburn fan, you've got a lot of respect for him and that game plan um, that they put into play and how well they executed that, that patented scramble defense. Um, that he's been doing for so long, the defense that, that helped George Mason go to the Final Four late in the uh, late 2000s. And so you've got, you know, you've got to respect it and kind of tip your hat um, to what they did. But uh, Miami players were, were fun to talk to um, as well. And I think Auburn players really enjoyed the time here. Other than, you know, this is something we had talked about, obviously the flight issue. Um, you know, they, they had some trouble getting there on what was that uh, Wednesday night. They had some trouble getting to Greenville. Um, and it was funny. We talked to Jabari Smith about it. He was the first person we then we talked to players first, and then we talked to Bruce. It's funny, uh, Jabari was asked about it. He said, yeah, you know, we just you know, we were getting ready to go, and then they uh, they told us to get off the plane because they had to fix some stuff. And so people said, well, um, what do you mean? I thought I thought y'all were in the air, and you had to come back down. And he said, no, we hadn't left yet, um, which was incredibly conflicting to what we had heard just the night before. And so we talked to Bruce, and, and an Auburn spokesperson as well gave us an official um, kind of comment on it. And yeah, they were up in the air. I, I I think Jabari Smith didn't know they had taken off. He might have been asleep or something like that. But clear, and there were some teammates kind of nodding their heads. I think some of them didn't even realize, and they were only up in the air for like ten minutes. Um, and then there was a water line issue, so they just came back and wanted to make sure everything was good with that. Um, and then some of the team flew up, and some of them bust. Um, but Jabari Smith said they had plenty of time that first night. Um, got some good sleep. Said they got some good food, stuff like that. By the way, I will say it was fun. Um, another fun atmosphere. Um, a reason why I thought Greenville was so great was because people kind of came out in droves every day, even if their team wasn't playing. Like I saw, you know, I saw Texas Tech fans, um, you know, and like UCLA fans and stuff like that. People just, you know, this time of year when college basketball, you know, March Madness in a, in a town that's hosting a subregion, when March Madness is the only thing anyone's talking about, people feel like they can go and, um, you know, wear their stuff. There's actually a, a, a Tennessee fan. We watched uh, Kentucky beat St. Peter's one night at a restaurant. And there was a Tennessee fan um, there that was really enjoying himself. And so that was a lot of fun. Uh, but the point of that was we were at a burger place one night and uh, we saw some Duke players, including Mark Williams. Uh, and they came and got some burgers and shakes to go the night before they played uh, Michigan State. And they were taking some pictures um, with some Duke fans. And I know Auburn players did the same um, a couple times in Greenville. So, again, was really impressed just kind of with the subregion and the way Greenville um, hosted it second time I had ever been to Greenville. Really, really nice place. And so I hope uh, hope all the Auburn fans there enjoyed themselves. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was fun talking to players between just kind of an aside um, where I was trying to go with this was um, some people may not know, but this is the first time in two years um, that we have had a, um, a trip where 
we're covering the team, whether it's football or basketball, and it was completely normal. Um, and, and I hope that was reflected in some of our coverage at auburnundercover.com. I had, a, I had a phenomenal time there covering the team. Um, I felt like we got a lot of good stuff from from Bruce and players and then opposing coaches, opposing players. Um, and the reason we did that was because everything was back to normal. Um, we had in-person press conferences every single day. Um, you know, Zoom is, you know, and, and, and when Zoom is necessary to keep people safe, um, as it, obviously we're talking about the pandemic here. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. We need to keep people safe, you know, masks and all that thing, whatever, whatever anybody asks of me, um, you know, that that's what we need to do. Um, if that's what, you know, people think we need to, to stay safe, but in this instance, you know, we're in a situation right now where, you know, they felt that, you know, in-person press conferences were okay. Um, and it just made such a difference. So that, that's kind of a, a side, that's a very like journalistic thing. That's, that's sort of like something only I care about. Probably none of you even <laughs> care about or understand. Um, but I, you know, I'd like to, I'd like for everybody to understand that that makes things so much better. Um, and that was a big reason why I really enjoyed this trip. Um, and it really kind of colors the coverage a lot better. Um, when you've got Bruce Pearl 10 feet in front of you, um, you know, people kind of stiffen up, not really coaches. Bruce has been fine on zoom all year. Um, but players kind of stiffen up on zoom. I think they kind of treat it like a podium. Um, and so they, they try to like almost sound like a coach. Um, but when you're there and you're just kind of able to, to jive back and forth um, and kind of have a more natural reaction and they can see your face um, really creates so much better conversation. Um, and so I, both with them and with Miami and with Jacksonville State really, really had a good time um, conversating with with coaches and players all weekend long. And I hope that showed up um, in the coverage. And so, yeah, you move forward to Sunday. Now you, you flash forward. Um, and Auburn had the late game, you know, you just got to sit and chill and watch games all day. Um, and just an absolute nightmare. Uh, I mean, it could not have gone any worse. I think if you get, um, you know, somewhat decent performances, if you just get average or even a little bit below average performances from your two all Americans, um, you're in this game at the end. And we've seen what Auburn can do this season. Um, when it's in games, you talk about big shots from Wendell Green and Jabari Smith, even going back to that Texas A&M game, um, you know, they were they were pretty much down by you know, 12, 14, most of that game. And then they came back at the very end um, and, and gave themselves an opportunity. Wendell Green hit a lot of big shots. They didn't even have a chance to do that uh, because Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler, um, they were they were bad. They were really, really bad um, in this game. And it was for Jabari Smith. A lot of it came from Miami's game plan for Walker Kessler. He was just off. Um, the two early fouls, so he got tagged with two non-shooting fouls in the first four minutes of the game. It wasn't even four minutes. It was like three minutes and 50 seconds. Um, and Bruce Pearl kind of talked about after the game how much that can throw you out of rhythm, um, especially as a big man. He missed his only shot in the first half. Um, he shot 0 of 6, by the way, easily his worst performance of the season. Um, missed his first shot in the first half. It was a point-blank look from an inbound pass, and he missed it. And then he missed five straight shots in the second half all of which were under the rim. I mean, it was shocking um, the kind of misses he was having. And then Bruce Pearl checked him out with like eight minutes left. He didn't come back into the game. Um, he played 13 minutes in this game. Uh, Dylan Cardwell played 12. Jalen Williams might have been Auburn's best offensive player. He probably was. He played 18 minutes. Um, and he you know, there were two or three rotations on the floor. Um, you know, Sequences when he was playing at the five like he did last season. Um, just because you can't play Dylan Cardwell that many minutes. Um, and then Walker Kessler was not giving it for you. And then when it came to Jabari Smith, um, that scramble was just working to perfection for Miami. He's, he's a guy um, that doesn't like to take a lot of dribbles, obviously. You know, he's a guy that just likes to size up his defender and, and rise up over top of him and, and, and shoot, or he puts the ball on the floor 
um, to get past it. But they would bring the doubles immediately. They would trap him um, when he caught it on the perimeter. Their trapping on high ball screens was incredible. Um, it was really giving Auburn a lot of problems. And Jabari Smith said post game, he said, "Look, you know, all credit to them. Um, they made it really difficult on me, and I just never got into a rhythm." He shot three of sixteen um, in the game. He's had worse percentages this season, but in terms of volume in games where he shot at least ten ten times, that was that was his worst of the year, and it was his worst three point shooting, one of eight um, from beyond the arc. His only make was that one there at the end. Um, and that was, that was one of only, uh, that was one shot that Auburn made at the end of the game out of their last 13. Um, so, you know, not only were they trailing a good bit in this game, they completely faded off on offense, um, over the final few minutes, you you missed 12 of your last 13 shots. Obviously that's going to eliminate, you know, any sort of comeback opportunity. Um, and so, you know, you heard all throughout March and, and I, I think Auburn fans are sort of coming around now. And understanding what it means to have a run in March, what it means to have a team that's capable of making a run in March, um, the kind of things you have to have in order to do that. And so much of it comes down to matchups. I thought Frank Martin, the former South Carolina coach, um, by the way, seems like he's going to go to UMass. Um, he was on one of the broadcasts, obviously, of the, of the CBS network of games in the first round, talking about that final four team with South Carolina. I believe that was 2017. When South Carolina went to the Final Four, he was talking about on Selection Sunday, he sees the bracket, their side of the bracket, their region, and he said, you know, I was looking at the, I don't remember what seed they were. They were high, but I don't think they were an elite seed. Um, he was looking at the matchups, and he's looking at the games, and kind of what would happen, and what teams his his Gamecocks might be able to play. And he was saying that he said to his coaching staff that night, look, if, if a lot of these games work out the way they're supposed to, we have a great chance to, to win this region because of matchups. And so when it's the NCAA tournament and it's win and go home, one game and go home, and that defines your success in March, it's all about the matchups. And Auburn ran into a nightmare against Miami. It, one of the worst matchups, I think, in this tournament field. Um, you know, obviously Auburn in terms of their body of work this season. Now they faded on offense a little bit, um, you know, relative to what they were doing the rest of the season. I think teams started figuring them out in the half court and they stopped being less explosive on offense. And then their three point shooting, you know, it, it never fails that, that trends that start at the beginning of the season, midway through the season, they're not just going to disappear. So Auburn's three point shooting was really bad. Um, for most of the season, not really bad, but I mean, bad in the SEC. They were they hung around 10th, 11th, 12th in the league for most of the season. That came back to bite them. They shot 19% in when it was when it was do or die, when it was win or go home. They shot 19%. They shot five of 26 um, from three. And so, you know, it's always going to come back to get you. Obviously, Texas A&M when it was win or go home in Tampa. Um, they shot three of 20 from three uh, in the first half of that game. And so, it's all about the matchups. When if you watched the games, the first round games, and they're going to talk about it this weekend as well with the second, the second weekend. It's all about matchups. Um, you know, you, you just, you've got teams where obviously Auburn is a better team than Miami. They had a better season than Miami. Everyone knows that this is a team is one of the best seasons in, in program history um, for Auburn. But when it comes to an individual matchup and you've got to play one game, um, sometimes that's what does it for you. And so, you know, you look back at what Auburn did a couple years ago, making it to the final four themselves. Um, they had good matchups in terms of their ability to shoot the three. Um, and that's, that's what you got to have. You either got to match up well and run your stuff and, uh, and feel like you match up well on the defense and the offensive side of the ball, or you just shoot the lights out from three. You know, those are, those are the two ways that you're going to be able to make a deep run 
in March. Um, and so obviously Auburn just wasn't able to recover. And Bruce Pearl said after the game, he got outcoached. Um, and that's something that I think, you know, most Auburn fans would probably agree with. And it's something that Bruce Pearl never shies away from, from admitting those kinds of things. And, and Laranag absolutely had his number. Um, they didn't have any answers. This was not one of those games where they had a run where they, they worked their way um, back into it. They, they tried that a couple times. I think Katie Johnson was probably the most explosive offensive player they had. He, he got to the rim a few times and was able to finish. He, he still only shot one of six um, from deep. And every time Auburn came somewhat close, it seems like at least in the second half, every time Auburn made one basket, the fans there, it was like 90-10. I mean, it was a, basically an Auburn home game one of the loudest postseason games I've ever seen for one side. Um, Miami silenced them. Um, and Miami, you know, it has not been an incredible offensive team this season. They're up in the, the top part of the ACC, but, you know, they didn't need to shoot the three ball well. Um, they drove in. They were able to, you know, Walker Kessler not being on the floor, 48 points in the paint. Um, and so on both ends of the floor, this is obviously a, a, a massive, massive matchup advantage for Miami because they were able to take Auburn's All-American front court out of the mix. Um, and so, you know, it's something that I think it's okay for Auburn fans to be disappointed with this result. And remember, I've seen a lot of people saying, Oh, you know, d when you look back on this team, don't think about that. You know, don't, don't, don't remember how it ended. Well, I mean, it's okay to, it's okay to play both sides there. It's okay to think it was a disappointment for this team to not make the sweet 16, because when you're a two seed, you're supposed to make the second weekend. That's just kind of how it works. When you win the SEC, when you go 15 and three in the league, your most conference wins with 15 and your most regular season wins with 27, both the most in program history, you are supposed to make it to the second weekend. Um, instead, they ran again. Instead, they ran into a buzzsaw of a matchup. And we'll see how far Miami is able to go. I, I think if they're able to execute like this, they can probably get past Iowa State and then things will get interesting, um, presumably against Kansas in the Elite Eight. And so. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I think it's okay for Auburn fans to feel both. Um, you know, obviously people take the time as soon as the season ends, they they go into reflection mode, you know, and, and you should with this team. Um, you know, you should look back at everything this team accomplished. Um, two of the best individual seasons in Auburn history. Um, you're talking about Jabari Smith being one of the best athletes to ever play at Auburn. Um, certainly one of the best single season athletes. He wins SEC Freshman of the Year. For the first time in Auburn history, the first player in Auburn history to be SEC Freshman of the Year. And then Walker Kessler, the first player in Auburn history to be Defensive Player of the Year, SEC Defensive Player of the Year. And he, and he might be, because of how he helped himself out in that first round game, um, with nine blocks against Jacksonville State, he might be the National Defensive Player of the Year. Um, we'll see what guys like. There's uh, there's two of them left in terms of the finalists because it was Kessler and Shibway and then uh, Chet Holmgren and uh, Mark Williams from Duke who we talked about. A couple minutes ago, they are obviously still playing, so they've got an opportunity to help themselves out. But um, you know, it, it seems like Kessler is the front runner for that. Um, so you're talking about incredible individual seasons as a team. You win the SEC; it's one of the best seasons for the SEC ever. Um, I know a lot of people are going to get some recency bias with that as well. They're going to look at what happened in March and they're going to say, "Oh, well, you know, only one team in Arkansas made it to the second weekend. Tennessee or you know, lost to lost to Michigan. They lost to a first four team." Um, you know, Auburn lost to a double-digit seed. Um, Kentucky, obviously, you know, the upset of the tournament so far, lost to St. Peter's in its first game. You know, a, a team that nobody knew about lost. You know, beat a team with a bunch of NBA players. 
Um, I don't think that changes what happened during the regular season. And LSU gets bounced uh, first game by a double-digit seed. I don't think that changes um, what happened in the regular season. Uh, it still was one of the best uh, one of the best seasons the league has had ever. And so for Auburn to win it in that year um, and get a championship. It's a championship that's never going to go away. It's a banner that's going to go up next season. Um, you know, 90, 85, 90% of this season was spectacular um, for Auburn. Just a ton of history made. And, and like we talked about, uh, Bruce Pearl getting SEC Coach of the Year um, for the first time at Auburn. Um, and so he's now been his conference coach of the year at every single one of his uh, every single one of his head coaching stops, all four of them. Um, so that's pretty that's pretty impressive there. But, you know, I, I think it's OK if you're looking back on this team to say what went wrong against Miami. What are some issues that need to be fixed next season because of that? And also look back with reverence on the rest of the season and say, wow, Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. Um, who are both gone, by the way. Um, Jabari Smith is obvious, but a lot of people are kind of holding out hope maybe a little bit for Walker Kessler to need another season. Uh, he's the best shot blocker in college basketball in the last 15 years. Um, there's nothing he can gain from coming back. Maybe he can work on his offense a little bit. That's what the NBA is for. He's going to be a top 20, top 25 pick. You look at right now, um, everyone's got him as a projected first rounder. I think uh, you know his offense is something like we talked about. It's going to be worked on in the league. He does not need to come back to Auburn uh, just to work on his offense. He is, he's a spectacular defender. He's probably going to be the national defensive player of the year. Don't hold out hope on Walker Kessler. And so it's okay to you know look back on this game and say what needs to be fixed for next season. Um, I've seen a lot of people kind of taking a stab at, at, at what the lineup could look like next year and what this roster could look like. You know, this was something that we did last year and thought about you know, oh, with these younger guys, you know, a, a Jalen Williams and Alan Flanagan, a Dylan Cardwell, you know, what is them coming back for another year? What does that do for their development? Is Auburn going to be one of the more veteran teams in the SEC? That was kind of our initial impressions of this roster. And then you had Jabari Smith. Oh, you're going to throw him in the mix. Um, and he's obviously going to elevate you a little bit. Um, this roster looked completely different like a month or two after that. And so I think right now we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. Um, because there will be transfers, there will be outgoing transfers. Um, there always are. There might. I mean, Justin Powell was a surprise last year. Not many people expected him to leave Auburn. Um, he looked like he was going to be, you know, a crucial piece for this season, and he decided to leave. So um, you, know, you could get somebody like that. You could get somebody who leaves, and you're like, wow, um, I wasn't really expecting that. But in hindsight, maybe it makes a little bit of sense. And so we'll see what happens. They've got two recruits coming in. Chance Westry is a, a kind of a fringe five-star wing player. Um, he plays the two and the three. He can maybe give you some more production at the three. I think that's the position of need for the most right now for Auburn. Um, Jalen Williams at the four is going to be fun. I think with more minutes for him, we kind of saw what he can do in an expanded role, and he was good um, when he was a starter uh, last season as well. But that three spot, you know, whether it's Alan Flanagan recovering um, or whatever they're going to do with Devin Cambridge's offense, but um, you know, Cambridge was a was a very very unreliable. Shooter and Alan Flanagan down the stretch of the season, again, recovering from an injury. Both good defenders, by the way, both good rebounders. Um, but Alan Flanagan down the stretch of the season, every time you he took that dribble drive down the baseline um, and floated it up there, you just had to assume it was going to be missed. I mean, he shot a, shot a very poor percentage um, from the floor. And so most games, you weren't getting much from the three position, um, your starter or, or your bench. And so that's something with Auburn, maybe Chance Westry can make a big impact on, and maybe you look in the transfer portal as well. I would expect Auburn to bring in, obviously, at least one transfer. Bruce Pearl 
has done such a great job in the portal. I think right now, if you look across the landscape, you can pitch to pretty much any big time transfer and say, hey, you want to be a first round pick? Come play at Auburn um, because they've done it and they've done They've had so much success. They've turned Wendell Green from a guy who was a you know good player at a lower level to now being a household name in the SEC. Katie Johnson upped his play. Walker Kessler became a first round pick. Um, you know, Zepp Jasper became a bigger name and he's going to come back next season and have an opportunity to be the point guard again. And so I think, you know, they've got a pretty good sales pitch for any transfers. Um, I think the three position is going to be the most likely of that. Uh, Trey Donaldson comes in the three star point guard supposed to play football too. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if Bruce Pearl lets Brian Harson have him or if he just says, uh, no, he's going to be our backup point guard. Uh, Donaldson, I think is, is a good player, um, for next season because all that he needs to do as a freshman um, assuming you get both Zepp Jasper, who said he's coming back, and you get Wendell Green coming back, who's only you know, going to be a third-year player next year. Um, you just take like eight or nine minutes off of both of them. You play Trey Donaldson eight or nine minutes in a game, you know, maybe maybe even less than that, and your your sole purpose is to give more legs to Zepp Jasper and Wendell Green so they can shoot out of a cannon better, particularly Wendell Green if he's still coming off the bench. Um, so their legs can be a little bit fresher at the point guard spot. I think that's a nice, that's a nice thing to have. That's a nice luxury um, for Bruce Pearl to have. Um, but will there be more, will there be more um, on the recruiting trail? I think is, is the question right now. I have submitted a crystal ball um, for Johan Traore, uh, the five-star, he's the number 15 player in the class. LSU, you know, their, their, uh, their recruiting classes have obviously been gutted uh, because of what happened with Will Wade. And so now, you know, the rest of your programs all across the country are trying to raid um, what they have and the players that have decommitted. Triori just decommitted a couple days ago. Um, look at him right now, number 15 player in the country, number four center in the country. He'll probably play a four slash five. Um, he'll just be a big for you. Um, he can play that, that stretch four position because he's a good three-point shooter. We're not talking like Walker Kessler and, and – uh, Stretch Akingola type three point shooters where they can shoot the three ball, but it's not necessarily consistent. He is a good outside shooter. Um, if you're able to get him, which I obviously think Auburn has a very good chance of doing, um, that really, really helps your outlook in the front court. He would be the second highest rated recruit ever at Auburn um, behind Jabari Smith. And so, um, you know, you're helping out your front court there. You're losing um, possibly, you know, the best single season player in Auburn history. You're losing him, a possible number one overall draft pick, and replacing him with the next best recruit that your program has ever had. And so we'll see what else they're able to do. Julian Phillips um, is also a guy, kind of that three four forward position. He's also a guy who's decommitted um, from LSU, and he's also a guy that Auburn's looking at. So um, we'll see what happens in the recruiting class. But I, I just do think Johan Treor has a really good, uh, really good chance of joining this class at the, you know, as as a big man coming in. And so we'll be able to talk about that a little bit more in depth. If he does commit, kind of be able to share um, some of that with y'all. And we'll talk about his game a little bit more. And so um, just, you know, over the next two months, we'll see what happens with this roster. I think it's, you know, it's an exercise. It's fine. You can do it. Uh, you know, it's, it's fun to look ahead, but I just think about me after last season, trying to think about what this roster looked like. And then Justin Powell transferred a couple of days later, um, pretty much all the depth, you know, Jamal Johnson, guys like that, the depth, um, of this team was pretty much washed out and replaced with all newcomers, um, which, you know, all newcomers, every single, you know, Auburn's five best players were all newcomers this season. Every single one of their best players um, were newcomers. And then after that, there was sort of the drop off from, from returning guys. And so we'll see what happens in terms of a possible rotation lineup for next season. Um, but it was an incredible season for Auburn. 
Um, it was, you know, second to obviously the 2019. You know, I've, I haven't been around this program super long. Um, I guess I've been a good luck charm because ever ever since I've been around, they've been pretty good. Um, but you know, no, no, I'm not giving any credit to Bruce Pearl apparently. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, any anytime Bruce is Bruce is here, you know, he's gonna be here for a long time. This is gonna be a tournament team. Um, it's gonna be a team that's gonna be back in the tournament next season unless you know something completely melts down for them. And so it'll be interesting to see how this roster is rebuilt. But it was an incredible season. Um, something that Auburn fans and and the program should be proud of um, for a long time. And there'll be a bunch of players back from this team you know, for that banner ceremony next year as they, uh, as they hoist the banner as, as SEC regular season champions. And so, but there's work to do. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't like a first weekend, uh, you don't like a first weekend exit if you're a high seed. And so that's going to motivate Bruce Pearl and the staff and these players heading into the off season. So we're going to get to a quick break here from basketball um, and talk about spring football. Uh, just going to get into an ad break here. You're listening to the Auburn undercover podcast. We'll be right back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And we're back here on the Auburn Undercover podcast. Nathan King here. Just wrapped up talking about basketball a bunch. Uh, now we're going to move on to spring football, which while Auburn was in the tournament, took a bit of a backseat um, to what was happening on the hardwood. Obviously, Auburn. Yeah, it was en route. Uh, it was 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 taking part of its historic season, and so you wanted to pay attention to that. Um, but now we have obviously completely shifted to spring football. Um, Auburn held a big recruiting weekend over the weekend. Um, we're going to have Jason Caldwell and, and, and Keith and, and Philip Dukes on within the next couple of days to talk about their recruiting efforts. Um, but in terms of practice, so they've now wrapped up four spring practices. Um, they're in their second week. Obviously, you got fifteen. It's going to culminate with the A Day game on April 9th. Um, a couple news pieces from the past 24 hours. Demetrius Davis and Roe Torrance both entered the transfer portal. Um, Davis is the most notable. Auburn's quarterback battle now slims down from five players to four. He was at practices recently um, as Monday when, when, when we were there. I came back from Greenville and went to the practice availability um, that night, and he was there spinning it with the quarterback. So this, you know, it's, either it was a decision that he had known you know, for a while that he was going to do and just didn't pull the trigger. Um, or it was something that's just happened the last couple of days, but he announced that on social media. Um, really not a huge surprise there. Um, you know, we, we had talked about that it would be a shock if they exited the spring with all five guys still intact, all five guys still on the roster. And the only reason you say that is because with a guy like D Davis, um, he committed to Gus Malzahn and Chad Morris. He signed during that interim period when Auburn didn't have a head coach. Uh, technically, he signed under head coach Kevin Steele. Um, and then now he was in a system with Brian Harson, where you really haven't seen Harson have that much success with quarterbacks like that in the past. You know, he's more of a pro style guy. Um, and so now most of the guys left on the roster, Robbie Ashford is probably fits into that category the least. Um, but most of them do fit into that pro style mold. And so D Davis now, obviously, you know, we'll look for an opportunity where his skill set can be better used um, in an offense. And you, know, you sort of saw the writing on the wall. They brought in three transfers since he arrived on campus. Um, and so obviously, you know, that, that, that cuts down some opportunities for him. Um, you know, he was a guy that gave his all to Auburn for a year and, and didn't have an opportunity, um, to see the field. He rose up to their backup quarterback spot in the bowl game, 
last year, and he was expected to have a couple packages in that game actually against Houston, but that just never came to pass with the way the flow of the game um, was happening. And so um, D. Davis is now out the door. Roe Torrance um, is the cornerback. He emerged as Auburn's number four corner last year. Um, we were actually watching the secondary on Monday, looking at the two deep, and I was, I was wondering where Roe Torrance was uh, as it relates to, to spring practice and talking about position groups, I will say. I think I've already mentioned it once on the podcast. It was, it was the same as last year. But uh, we're we're being asked not to talk about guys who aren't there, um, you know, whether it's injuries or whatever, guys who aren't practicing because of injuries. You can have a variety of opinions on that, especially when the season is so far away and we're in the second week of spring practice. But uh, that's that's neither here nor there, of course. Um, so we're asked to you know, follow the coach's wishes um, in that regard. But Roe Torrance hadn't been there for the past couple practices in the in the secondary rotation. Hadn't seen him with the defensive back, so I'd wondered a little bit um, what was up there. And now he's looking for a new opportunity as well. That's two straight springs now where Auburn has had a JUCO cornerback leave. Last year was Kamal Haddon. He went to Tennessee and actually played a pretty decent role in that defense. I remember he had a good game against Alabama. Roe Torrance was a good player last year. Like I said, became their number four cornerback in that rotation. Um, probably had an opportunity in the spring to move up because of Roger McCreary being out. But I just I wonder if maybe you know he, he kind of fell behind maybe some other guys like a J.D. Ryan. We've heard good things about. He's a four-star freshman right now. I saw A.D. Diamond, um, who is a second-year player, is a redshirt freshman. He was taking reps at second team corner, and that's that's when I had wondered, okay, why is Ro Torrance not there? Because it would make a lot of sense for Torrance um, to be there behind, you know, behind Jalen Simpson and behind Nehemiah Pritchett. Um, but you know, so maybe maybe it was a depth chart thing. Obviously, you know, we'll we'll find out at some point. But you know, regardless, just looking for a better opportunity for himself. So both of those guys entered the portal um, on Wednesday. In terms of what we've seen from this team on the field in spring practice. Um, you know, there's not a ton you can glean just because of how many outages they have right now. Um, even in the quarterback battle, I posted some videos of it on our board yesterday. Um, you know, Zach Calzada is in the the yellow non-contact jersey. There's not much he's not doing. Um, he's still got that shoulder thing. Um, that issue suffered late last season when he was at Texas A&M. Seems like he's running through everything just fine. Um, I just think, you know, it's probably um, you know, extra precautions, but TJ Finley's the guy right now. He's taking all the first team reps. We talked to Killian Zaire, um, the left tackle yesterday, and he said that, you know, because of his familiarity with the system, with the offense, with the terminology, with the guys, with the pass catchers, with the running backs, with the offensive line, everything just makes a lot of sense why TJ Finley is the guy right now in the spring. I'll just be interested to see how that sort of evolves. Robbie Ashford has been a good looking athlete. He's the Oregon transfer, um, former four star quarterback out of Hoover. So he's an in state guy. Um, he's made a few, you know, he's looked like a good athlete. He's got plenty of zip on the ball. Um, he's still working some things out. Holden Gurner, the freshman, uh, you like what he looks like. You like his frame. He looks like a good quarterback in the future. Um, he's just very raw right now with his skill set. And so in terms of the quarterback battle, you know, I, I spent all of practice watching them um, on Wednesday and uh, and seeing what I could gather. And, and that was useful for me. But, I mean, the overall impression is that there's just not a lot. Uh, there's just not a lot of separation right now because of how early we are in the spring. I think by the time we get to a day, we'll have a better opportunity, you know, to see what has happened over the course of spring practice. I do think we're in a we're in a situation where there will be guys cut down. Um, it'll be like when it was uh, uh, Malik Willis, Joey Gatewood, and Bo Nix. I think they'll head into the fall with less guys in the competition. You know, Brian Harson and Eric Keesaw will probably say, "All right, you know, we're, we're actually only going to work with these three guys. You know, this guy or these two guys. You know." 
these other guys are out of the quarterback competition that's going to be between these two guys. I think there's a pretty good chance of that happening. You definitely want that to happen if you're an Auburn fan. We've already talked about it on here before, but you want that to happen because that means guys have shown separation. They have shown the ability um, to kind of rise above their peers, and the coaching staff looks at these couple guys and says, all right, these are the guys um, that are clearly you know, more skilled and are clearly going to be better in this offense. And so other than that, I mean, you look across the offense, I think the, the skill position players are kind of what we've expected. Tank Bixby is going to have a really big role. Uh, the coaching staff actually has talked about how um, they've been studying some NFL schemes for him, um, looking at how the NFL gets its running backs involved and both on the ground and in the passing game because they really want to just optimize him this season um, and turn him into the best player he can be because they know he's the best player on offense, might be the best player on the entire team. And so, you know, for Auburn to have success and reach its ceiling this season, he obviously has to continually improve. You know, he's SEC freshman of the year. Then he was the first thousand yard rusher Auburn's had in a while last season. So they'd like him to take another step. Um, it's going to help that the offensive line has so many guys back. That's obviously been a big story. Obviously, Auburn fans were kind of worried about what the offensive line might look like, but then they had four of their possible six guys decide to return. Um, but it's an interesting looking group right now. So right now, just because of the way some injuries have played out, um, you've had on the left side, Austin Troxel and Killian Zaire are rotating there. Be interesting to see what happens with the tackle spots. Zaire said he's most comfortable at left tackle. And obviously both of them have played both sides. Troxel, I think, has a little bit more experience on the right side. At left guard, you've had Alec Jackson. Um, that's where Jeremiah Wright is working um, as well. He's obviously moved back from the defensive side of the ball, started as an offensive lineman. Then they move in the defensive line. Then he had the knee injury last spring. They were hoping to have him come back as a defensive lineman, but now they want him to move to the offensive line again. At center, you've got Jaleel Irvin. Nick Brahms is still recovering from some offseason uh, surgery to kind of clear up some stuff from last season, but he's expected to be just fine. Uh, for the season at right guard, you've got Keandre Jones coming back from last season. And then at right tackle, um, you've got Brendan Coffey working in there right now, actually, as the starter, because Brodarius Ham went off to the NFL. And so it's interesting to see Troxel and Zaire take most of the reps at the left side. You, you, you've seen Troxel at the right a little bit this spring, um, but for most of it, it's been Brendan Coffey. And so, you know, it's just it's 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 interesting right now to try to sit there and, um, you know, decipher what those lineups are going to be just because of the injuries. You know, Brandon Council also not practicing at the moment. It's, you know, it's interesting to try to look at those and and talk about what the lineups are going to be. So um, that's another thing where at the end of a day, maybe we'll have a little bit better of an idea, but right now we're just trying to, you know, trying to sift through um, things. Receivers, you know, you could really tell on the first day of practice how thin they are and how few scholarship players they have there. But that's why guys like Javarius Johnson and guys like Shedrick Jackson are so important that they made the decision to come back. Obviously, Shed Jackson decided to come back for a fifth season, take advantage of that COVID year, and Javarius Johnson entered the transfer portal and decided to come back um, to the team. I do think Tarvarish Dawson is the guy to watch at that position. He certainly uh, made some strides. Brian Harson talked about it's been night and day, um, the way his attitude is and kind of the way he's he's carried himself in practice. And his focus in the receiver's room has been completely different from what it was as a freshman. He's a former four-star athlete um, out of Florida. And so he's got that opportunity maybe to take another step this season. And there are some opportunities in that room because they lose both Kobe Hudson and Demetrius Robertson from last season, both starters that they're trying to replace. Moving over to the defensive side, I mean, the defensive front is exactly who you'd expect it to be. Um, Colby Wooden and Marcus Harris are the leaders right now. That's what Jimmy Brumbaugh, the new D-line coach, said. I talked to him a few days ago. He said those are the guys, those are the anchors right now. Jason Jones is a guy that might be the X factor there. Um, you know, Tony Fair was was playing nose tackle for Auburn last season, the UAB transfer. 
And now, obviously, he's exhausted his eligibility. He's trying to go off to the NFL. Jason Jones is a guy that might be able to fill in there as a nose tackle. I talked to Marcus Harris about him yesterday. And he said, you know, there's some differences. Jason Jones is, is taller. He's like six foot six, three twenty. Harris said the first time he saw him. It's an Oregon transfer, by the way, former uh, former top twenty recruit from Alabama. You know, he came in there and he was like, "Whoa, this guy's massive." Um, he said, "You know, he's he's he's, he's a super good athlete." Um, and so that's kind of the differences there. He's a little bit less of a plugger, uh, but might be more um, obviously in that Jordan Davis type mold of the of an anchor of the defense. That's that's best case scenario, um, of course. But a guy that just has tremendous size, but is also a good athlete. So he's the guy I'm looking out for right now on the defensive side of the ball. Owen Papo not being able to practice right now at linebacker um, is 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 obviously giving some more opportunities to some of the younger guys. Um, but that's a room with plenty of depth um, from the past couple seasons. Cam Riley, Desmond Tisdall, Wesley Steiner, um, Joko Willis. Those guys are all getting their opportunities now to step up in spring ball. And then you've got Eugene Asante, the linebacker from North Carolina. He's turned some heads. He's obviously got a couple years of experience under his belt. He's a former four-star recruit um, from the state of Virginia. He's got some experience, played a lot at UNC. Um, you're sort of seeing that in practices right now. You're seeing how experienced he is. And then they're going to add Robert Woodyard, who's the highest rated player in their class. They're going to add him in the fall. He's going to be a summer um, enrollee. And then in the secondary, you know, you've got the cornerback spot locked down pretty well. Cornerback and nickel look pretty good. Um, you know, Jalen Simpson and Nehemiah Pritchard are going to lead those those two corner spots. I talked to Nehemiah um, yesterday as well. We got to talk to him, and he said that he and Simpson are, are, are working at those two boundary spots. Uh, Nehemiah played some nickel last season. But right now, it looks like he might be the guy to replace Roger McCreary. Um, remember that he had a spectacular uh, 2020 season at corner. Then Derek Mason split him between nickel and corner a little bit. Wasn't as consistent. Now it looks like he might be back more full-time at nickel. J.D. Rhyme is the guy we mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, four-star freshman. He is the guy who's probably turned the most heads in terms of the newcomers there. He's done a really good job playing both corner and nickel. And then the safety spots are sort of wide open at the moment. Um, you've got Zion Puckett playing back there at safety, but you know, Smoke Monday and by Darius Knighton are, are no longer here. They're off to the NFL. Um, and so you've got a couple guys who have made some strides early on. Uh, freshman Caleb Wooden, the younger brother of Colby Wooden. Uh, Brian Harson told us on the first day of practice, he had an interception and a scoop and score. Um, and then he's been productive since then, talking to a couple more defensive players. Said he's been really, really good for them back there. And then Caden Bridges is a redshirt sophomore. He's a guy you know, came in the same class as A.D. Diamond. Both of them are getting an opportunity um, to come in and, and, and play some extra snaps before more guys from the secondary uh, you know, arrive in the fall. Uh, Marquise Gilbert is also a guy who he's, he's rotated with the ones a little bit there at safety across from, uh, across from Zion Puckett. He is the number one safety recruit in the country from the JUCO ranks. He's an early enrollee. That might help him out a little bit um, as well, give him an opportunity to kind of flash for the coaching staff again, before the secondary becomes a little more loaded. And so not a ton of, not a ton of like standout storylines so far from the spring where you're just saying, wow, that is the, that is the number one thing. But I think over the course of the next week, we'll probably get there. You remember last spring, you had a standout on both offense and defense. You had Javarius Johnson, Auburn, you know, and they haven't scrimmaged yet. Once they scrimmage, I think we'll get a little bit better of an idea um, of, of, of who you got on both sides of the ball. Javarius Johnson really popped last year in spring ball. Um, his coaches and players all talked about him very consistently as a playmaker at receiver. And then before his injury, which I believe happened in the second or third scrimmage of spring, 
Um, Jeremiah Wright was a really good player. I remember Derek Mason talked about him almost every day. Um, was a really good player there along the defensive line. They thought he was going to be a really big difference maker. And then he had the knee injury. So we'll see what happens. I think scrimmaging will kind of open things up there. Um, might see a little bit of separation in the quarterback battle when it comes to the scrimmages. But we'll see. So everybody keep it locked at AuburnUndercover.com. We've had a good time heading out there to practice. So I'm, I'm interested to see what happens moving forward. If we can get some roster separation at certain positions, if you can get guys um, stepping up, because this is not a team that's super deep at a lot of positions. Um, and so you're going to need guys to step up there. Like like the edge position is something I didn't even talk about um, because, you know, Derek Hall and Eku Leota were good players last year, last season, excuse me, um, combined for 22 and a half tackles for loss. But behind them, the only scholarship player is Dylan Brooks. Now, Rock Bell and Tony, who's the new position coach there, said that Brooks is a lot like Dawson, where he's made such a difference from year one to year two, and he's really just almost a different player um, in spring camp right now. But they're going to need him to be really, really good um, because right now they've only got three players there. We'll see what happens if they can move some guys around, maybe like a Powell Gordon or a Cam Riley, both of whom are playing linebacker right now. Maybe, maybe they move over to that edge spot. We'll see. It hasn't happened yet. Um, and they're going to be looking for transfers there after spring is over as well. So you're going to need guys to, you know, depth pieces to play really well here in the spring and sort of set themselves apart as guys that the coaching staff can rely on because uh, you don't have a lot of depth at a lot of positions. So you're going to need um, the guys that are playing um, to be pretty good. And so it's going to start in the spring, um, obviously culminating, like we talked about, with the A-Day game. And so um, that's it for for football. We're going to move on. Um, you know, we'll talk about recruiting later in the week um, and have some more football updates for y'all. Obviously, we're going to focus completely on football now that basketball season is over. But keep it locked at AuburnUndercover.com, y'all, for the next couple weeks as football rolls on. And like I talked about, some possible recruiting news for Auburn basketball and then the transfer portal for Auburn is going to get rolling, you know, pretty soon. Um, obviously, when the season ends for everybody, like when the national championship happens and, 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 the, and the tournament is over, um, it'll, it'll get ramped up even more. But for right now, I, you know, I'd be not would not be surprised if within the next few days um, we get some transfer decisions from guys that are trying to get a head start and uh, and, and take their talents elsewhere um, and look for a better fit than what they've got right now at Auburn. So we'll have that all covered for you guys. AuburnUndercover.com. Thank you guys so much for listening to this edition of the podcast. Thank you guys for listening to me ramble. I just had a lot of these thoughts here um, to get out of the way, both on basketball and football. But we will have you guys covered. Um, with everything moving forward, please give us a five-star review if you guys enjoyed the show. And until the next episode, y'all have a great rest of the week. I'll talk to y'all later.